Hi, and welcome to this month's Dharma Things podcast, the podcast where you get the chance to just dip in and get some joy, some inspiration, maybe a few little laughs along the way, and maybe a little interaction with my cat who is with us today. I'm actually interviewing at home today. I have a lovely guest in my living room, and it's a pleasure to have her here. We've just talked for over an hour before hitting record for this thing. Um, she's a wonderful, creative human being um, and quite an inspirational human being as well. <laughs> um, and I'm probably not going to say her name properly because being English, we don't pronounce things very well. Um, I know her as Jenny, but I believe in Danish is Yinu. Yinu. Yeah. Welcome. Thank Yinu. You. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. More popularly known as... Lidmore, but go. actually outside of Denmark, I always go with Lidmore. Lidmore, exactly. That was going to be my English pronunciation of it, Lidmore. Yeah, Ugh. I like Lidmore. It sounds like a little more. It sounds like being perpetually greedy. Okay, <laughs> perpetually greedy. What does it actually mean? It's something to do with grandmother, isn't it? Is it? No, it's a uh, lid. Um, lid is sound. Okay. And more is mother. So it's sound mother. mother. It's mother of sound. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Bit pretentious I was when I was eighteen and came up with that name, um, but yeah, that's what it translates to. Yeah, I like that sound mother. Yeah, yeah, it, that, yeah, that's good. So like the songs is like giving birth. Okay, yeah, giving birth to your sound because you do say that you are a composer, beat maker, producer, everything, aren't you? Yeah, it's becoming harder and harder to keep track. <laughs> Um, the, the, the short version is I make music, but I, I now also started doing radio uh -huh. and film, and it's just I I work creatively in the world with emotion. I think that would be like creatively in the world with emotion. Nice, because just calling you like simply a pop singer. Nothing against pop singers, if there are any pop singers listening. Um, Pop singer just sort of minimizes the amount of work that you do, I think. I yeah, maybe, but but I mean there's a lot of work going into being a pop singer as well. It's, yeah. um, and I, I I like going there sometimes. I like going in the pop singer way and and you know, going on stage and looking at screaming fans and do autographs and, <laughs> and music videos and, and dress up and mm -hmm. have people do my hair and makeup. I love that. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. Like I like pretending to be a pop singer sometimes. <laughs> but the creativity does spill out into your stage show as well, because you've got the, um, what was it called? The spaceship that's on stage UFO. with you, the UFO. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I made a, a UFO of like glass, like plexiglass that can light up in different colors where I put my electronic music equipment on. Yeah. And it's um, standing like, you say, like, it's kind of tilted and tilted, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. And it, it's, it's becoming more and more tilted the more I learn to play in like tilted yeah. ways, yeah. so that people can see what I'm doing. Yeah, that was actually the point of it. It's quite wonderful. You. If you get the chance, listeners, to Google pictures of Jenny when you know when she's playing, have a look because it's full on body paint, outfits, spaceship thing, light show. It's um, it's kind of cool. 
Ah, I like it. It's yeah. my little neon universe. Mm. It's fun. I'm having fun in it. And what got you here? I mean, rolling right back to the beginning because we've jumped up to present day rather quickly because I was excited about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, take us back to the beginning. What You said you were 18 when you came up with Ludmore. Yeah. But previous to that, what led you up to that? How did you end up being in this world that you're in now, like as a kid? Um, what were you up to? What were you doing to to get you to where you are now? I um, I think I was always I always knew that it was going to be something about storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a weird kid um, in a weird family, mm-hmm. very warm family, very, yeah, very loving family. We read a lot. Yeah, it was like a thing of our house. We would read fantasy and sci-fi. Okay, I was like, that's what we did. Okay. Um, and I would play like the Lord of the Rings in the garden and smash down orcs with like bamboo swords and stuff. And I would yes. read very early. I started reading really, really early. Read huge novels because I was horribly unpopular in, in school. So that was like my escape place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember like I thought I was going to be a film director. Mm-hmm. Very early, I was so sure. Okay. Direct films, and I, I was going to direct fantasy films because I went, I saw The Lord of the Rings, and that feeling that I had when I was sitting in the cinema and watching The Lord of the Rings, I think I must have been like 10 or 11. It's like yeah. this, I want to give this to other people. Yeah. Um, but there was music always. I played the clarinet, I sang in a choir, and there was a piano in our house. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I think. No one in my family lived off art or anything like they were all normal jobs. Um, so living off music was never like a thing that I thought was possible. Music was just a hobby you had and it was a healthy hobby and it was good. Mm-hmm. And then when I was 14, I changed schools. I went to this IFTA school thing we have in Denmark where we lived there mm-hmm. and escaped the horrors of my normal school. <laughs> And I, some guy, I was doing like the drama team. I was not even in the music, like part of the school. I was doing theater because I wanted to be a film director. Mm-hmm. And then a guy asked me if I wanted to, to do a song in an open stage thing. Um, and I did your song because I just watched Moulin Rouge and I thought that was the okay. deep and intense movie ever. <laughs> um, I was 14. <laughs> so I did your song by Elton John. And, um, there was something in, like, I remember it very, very clearly. They were sitting in amphitheater, mm-hmm. the other people from the school, and I was standing in the middle of it, and he was playing piano. He was to my right. I was looking at them. I could see all their faces. And I don't know, it was just instant, like, this This is this is what I'm going to do. Like, I was, I was, I just knew. It was kind of, like, just knowing, like, oh, this is a way to achieve instant connection. And it's so easy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I achieved directions like those there. Yeah. And I, it felt natural then being felt, out there doing that. Yeah, it felt natural and it felt right and it felt fun. And it was like, oh God, like just coming across this thing and finding out like, I'm really good at this. Like, and I know why and I know how I can do this better and I know how to improve. It was just, it was really like discovering a treasure. Mm-hmm. Two days later, I wrote my first song. 
It's just like, okay, I have to write my own songs, obviously. So I wrote my first song. It was a horrible, horribly bad song, but. Um, <laughs> and then it was just like kind of. Okay. What was the first song about? Uh, a bullying. It was called Lonely Angels. It was about how these people who got bullied was like really great. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Emotional from the start then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then what next? What after, after uh, what came after? After school. After school. I went to high school. Um, yeah. And also actually at a place where you could live, like boarding school. Okay. Um, not the horrible one that's in the news right now for like, with people abusing each other. I went to another one that was way more chill. Um, There's plenty of people smoking weed there. You probably shouldn't say that publicly. <laughs> anyway, like all of them have graduated now. So okay. probably not getting any into trouble. There's nobody smoking weed at the boarding school anymore. <laughs> no, that's not <laughs> happening. Um, and I just, I wrote songs at the piano and I, I didn't know anyone who did music. Um, and I remember all through high school being kind of this, this like confused state of like, how the fuck am I going to do this? I, I was in Stora, it's like way out in the countryside mm -hmm. and was playing at open stages there at the school and having music as an A-level class. And the, mm -hmm. it's just like the, 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 the feeling of like, how the fuck is this? How, pe how do people do this? It's just I, I that's one of the main things I remember mm. and then when I was 18 I moved to Aarhus and I felt like now I'm a grown-up I also had like a two-week trip out in Europe right like alone I was like oh I'm gonna learn about life now <laughs> I did not learn a lot about life in two weeks you know, I was like, <laughs> the greed of youth <laughs> to instantly learn everything there is to know about life yeah um but I moved to Aarhus and I got like a child savings thing mm -hmm. come 18. My parents said a little, little, little amount of money that I got. Yeah. And I spent it on music equipment um, because back then I didn't know you could rent a studio. I thought that was for professional musicians, like only. Ah, okay. So I didn't know that for the money I spent, I could have had like probably a week in the studio and have recorded it now. Um, okay. But I know now know that people owning studios, they don't care where the money comes from. Um, they'll if you rent it, they'll you know you can have it. Yeah. But then I was like, no, it's only for real musicians, and I'm not a real musician. So my only option is to buy my own studio. Um and that's when I changed into electronic music. Because okay. the programs that I Googled and Google like how to record music. And I had like the speakers and a microphone and a keyboard and this all like stacked in my tiny, tiny apartment. And the first program, like easiest program, because then I downloaded one program, it was so difficult and I was so confused. Like, okay, Google again, easiest program to record music. And I downloaded a program called Ableton Live, mm -hmm. which is, you can record on it, but it's actually made for making beats. And okay. doing electronic music. So when I started doing the tutorials of it, it was like, oh, and how to make your first beat. And I was like, why is this possible? Can I just sit here and make a beat? Yeah. No one told me this. <laughs> and at that point, I had tried making bands. I remember I had a side rock band with a drummer and a guitarist, and they were just playing so loud and so, and I hated it. It was just, I was standing there screaming over their, like, 
instrument masturbation. There was this, burn me up your Then I was like, where? There's no room for my voice. Like, what am I doing here? So it was this huge relief to find out that I could just build a drummer in my computer. Yeah. And, and then he would do exactly as I said. <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And then you're in complete control. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's like, that became, you know, what I do now, like mm -hmm. producing on my own and figuring stuff out. It's like, the great thing about producing music on a computer is like a, a never ending journey of learning. I yeah. still do YouTube tutorials now of like equalizing and compression and reverb and distortion and all these like effects and how to use them and different ways of putting together a soundscape or different ways of putting together a bass or beats for you. Wow. It's okay. Like you, it's just, you can never stop learning. It just becomes yeah. more and more exciting. Yeah. And I guess this is the wonderful thing about being in complete control of this process yourself. You're not, um, farming out this responsibility to other people mm. it's purely up to you to develop your own career yeah yeah although you do farm things out to people I do sometimes farm, yeah. I mean and, and that was something that came later and, and and I had to learn how to do that um, to let go you had to learn to let go first I had to learn how to let go and then I had, had to learn how to let go and also keep control mm -hmm. because the first time when I got a record deal I was um I was 19 or something like that. Uh, you know, I, I got the, the usual thing that happens when you get a record deal is that you get a producer, mm -hmm. a guy, usually also a guy. Yeah. Um, and you go into the studio and you, you produce an album. And I, and I produced an album with this guy who was great. He was really, really talented and very sweet. Um, and I loved him for, he knew so much more than me about this. Mm -hmm. and, and I completely loved that. But also, I completely lost myself in that because yeah. then he became the responsible one, and he was, you know, he would say, like, "This is how you do it, and this is how you, and this, and then you have to do it this way, otherwise, it's not real music." Okay. Um, and I trusted him completely, yeah, because I was so amazed at his skills of, of developing sounds. And I listened. It was so funny. I, I listened to that album the other day, knowing what I know now, and having all the experience and, and like in creating sounds and I just listened I was like oh my god there's so many things that's just oh completely off the mix is horrible like oh we could have made yeah. it way better yeah but back then I was just I I was insecure and and when someone came in and said this is how it has to be I was like oh okay mm -hmm. so I had to learn how to be in that situation of letting people in because I like other people's creativity. I love working in collaboration and, and, and there's a lot of things that I'm not able to do, like for example, mastering or mixing yeah. or some, sometimes I can't figure out a beat. And it took me quite a few years to kind of learn to do that in a way where I kept control. Mm -hmm. okay. And when that happened, then it was, it was that was fun. Then yeah. it became a lot of fun. Yeah. Because then it became, I remember saying like, I feel like Kanye, in a way, which is not a great thing to say these days because it's got batshit crazy. But um, <laughs> like that kind of like, okay, that's a cool, I love what that person's doing. I'm inviting him in, inviting yeah. her in and saying, okay, this needs to sound like a hurricane. Go. Yeah. 
And then, yeah. no, I want that, or that, and that, and just being able to kind of pick and choose and then create. Yeah. Monstrous works out of it. You're inviting them in rather than you being in their hands. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult because, like, especially when I started, people were not used to women who were producing. Yeah. It was just not a thing. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and it's really easy when you're new to convince yourself that you don't have an opinion. Yes. Like it's, that's such an easy thing. And, and yeah. I know now I have very much an opinion. Like, yeah, it's, and like, it's one of the things I, I'm usually not a very angry person. Mm -hmm. I don't become angry very easily. Mm -hmm. But like if someone, example, if I, if I hire someone to mix a track, which is just like turning little tweaking, tweaking, tweaking. Mm -hmm. which I hire people to do because there are people who specify in that I know a lot about it now yeah so that's dangerous <laughs> so I need someone to do something that I know a lot about but I need them to do it a little bit better than I would be able to do okay and then <laughs> when I get tracks back and I think they've done it wrong <laughs> right <laughs> I'll, ha I'll, I'll have like it'll take me days before I'm able to talk to them because I'm so angry okay and it's horrible. I'll be looking at myself like, what is I'm doing? How could you, how you have destroyed the track? Like this would, would be what I would say. I, of course, I never say this. I, I take a break and then I return con constructively. <laughs> or I just tell them that they're not the right person to mix it. And I, I love what they usually do. And then, like, yeah. But in the moment, my feelings are like, how could you have done this? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Did you hear what I made? You have ruined it you have ruined my soul and everything that was beautiful you know that's like the kind of <laughs> anger that exists now and i think that comes from a place that i have kind of nurtured into being being very protective of what i do yeah and i guess you have to be when you've created such an amount of stuff yourself it, it, it's we all have this fear of letting go of stuff that we've created whether it's a an actual child or a creative child and yeah. uh I think that's what that anger comes from, from a sense of fear. But it's really important that you retain that autonomy, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because like in the first, actually the first, the first album very much, but also a little bit the second one. The second one was a learning one. And then for the third album, that's the first album where I really felt that was mine mm -hmm. completely through and through. Yeah. Um, but for those first two albums, when I got, like bad critique or mm -hmm. when it wasn't as successful as the label had hoped and the radio wouldn't play it or stuff like that. It was way, way harder because in a way I had been not trying to satisfy my own creative nerve. I had been trying to satisfy the world. Yeah, that's what happens when you take other people's advice too much and they go, oh, this is what is still become successful. And you're like, okay, I will do that then. And then it feels so shitty when that does not become successful because you're like, okay, I've prostituted my insights and I didn't get any money. <laughs> right, um, of course, yeah, yeah. Compromised what your idea was yeah. to fit with somebody else's, this is how it should be. <laughs> and then their bloody idea didn't work. Yeah, then it's just like, yeah double hard yeah. whereas for my later works that all kind of came after I kind of took that battle with myself you know I can I can put it out everybody can hate it and I'm still like I don't this is I still love it 
it's mine. Okay, that's interesting because a lot of the time if you, that might make it feel more vulnerable. Like, oh, this is mine. This is mine. This is solely mine and people hate it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's people hating your music is, is always gut-wrenching in a way, but I don't need it to become successful because the success was getting to where I wanted to be. Okay. Um, like the the criteria of success for me when I create something now is living up to my own standards that are horribly high, um, really horribly. I'll be so hard on myself and my processes can be torture. Um, but kind of making something that I think has value or that I think is interesting and beautiful, so difficult. So achieving that, that's the goal. And yeah. when I've achieved that, I have this kind of like, okay, I did it. And the world can think what the world wants to think. Yeah. You know, okay. and that's like, uh, that's, of course it hurts when people hate your stuff, but, but it's, it's, it's a very much stronger place to be mm. um, when you fought for kind of standing in that place as an artist. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, actually thinking about it, that makes sense. Because we always beat ourselves up about not achieving and not hitting the right goals and stuff like that. But they're generally other people's goals. Yeah. In life, when people are dissatisfied, it's because they're upset at not achieving goals that have been set by other people. If we could just learn to achieve the goals that we set ourselves or mainly just be concerned with the goals that we set ourselves, maybe we'd all be substantially happier. I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't guarantee happiness for everybody, but, but, it, but in, it works for me in such a, uh, such a way better way to work. Because yeah. the thing is like, if I base my, opinion on success upon how my work is received mm. god I'm, I'm always second guessing and thinking about trends oh god i hate trends Blech. it's like oh fuck fashion became way more fun for me when i stopped caring what was in right now and just started dressing up as i did when i was a kid mm -hmm. then fashion became fun and in the same way music became fun when i stopped thinking about whether people would find it cool or popular or edgy or like there's this sentence that I heard a lot in the beginning that I always joke about which is like boiled down a lot of the critique I got and a lot of the critique that nearly everyone in the music industry gets which is can you be more edgy but like in a mainstream way um which is like what everybody wants you to be like, oh, you're dangerous, but risk-taking, but all the risks you take, go, they turn out really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you run around trying to achieve that, what, what, what you end up making, the piece of art you will make will be porridge. You know? It's just gonna mm. be this tasteless thing that is just a mixture of all the expectations that you gathered people have of what you should make. Yeah, yeah. And you always class what you do as art. You always label it as art. It's a creative process. It's not just writing. It's not just making music. It's always art. Yeah. You have a huge, huge range of influences, don't you? Yes. Yeah. That was also kind of a part of that journey away from 
making art or making music or anything from an unhealthy place was also okay so if i'm not gonna work with like trends or popularity as a motivator or an inspiration then what am i going to put in that mm -hmm. place instead mm -hmm. and that became books and film and art and theater and yeah this book next year i love that your entire trip to can <laughs> recently was uh, um just sort of molded around this oh it wasn't just can was it where else did you go we went to uh Le Marin in um, in south of france but the, there was a book that i saw you mentioning quite often tender is the night yes Fitzgerald. yeah yes yeah, it was very very literature uh, trip because Le Marin, where we stayed for a while was um where Camus lived and where Camus is buried okay. um and uh, then we stayed in antibes which is a city that um, with a beach that uh, Fitzgerald based uh, Tender is the Night on. Um, so it was very much, uh, yeah, writing. Um, yeah. I'm really like very much into the classics of literature, mm -hmm. almost embarrassingly so. Yeah. 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 Why embarrassingly so? I don't know. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like I'm also uh, trying to be a feminist and I'm queer, polyamorous punk. But I just really like Proust, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I just can't. I just really like Oscar Wilde and Proust and Fitzgerald yeah. and Hemingway and all those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but to go back to one of your earlier points, um, mm -hmm. talking about actually, because as always with this podcast, we just skip around on different subjects. Um. You were saying that it's quite unusual for a woman to be a producer. Yeah. Yeah. So um, whilst you are being, you know, a modern beat making, uh, aware, punk, etc., etc., there's also a huge amount of feminism in what you do. Um, a lot of inspiration. Your mother is a very strong woman. Wonderful mum. Yes. Um, props to mum. Props to mum. Yeah. We also had somebody else on the show not that long ago whose mother I know. This is rather a strange thread <laughs> to be occurring, actually. I'm getting people on my show because I know they're mums. Mm. <laughs> uh, no. I actually met Jenny first and then met mum second, but mum is super cool. Um, but yeah, you're, uh, she's been a huge influence on you, yes. I imagine. She's been a big influence on me just in the handful of times I've met her um and yeah you have a real strong feminist feel to what you do your interests the things you speak about the things that influence you and i personally have worked on um equality in the music business um in different ways when i worked at a music conservatoire in leeds and i worked for a record label and different things there was a constant narrative around feminism in the music industry, uh, gender equality, more rights for women, etc. The same thing that you hear in broader social and cultural conversations, but in the music industry, and kind of knitting into this idea of you retaining your autonomy, um, there are not a lot of female producers, and there are not many 
female writers who fully own what they do like you do. No. And uh, there are also a lot of uh, women who are as active in the studio as a lot of male producers, but who don't call themselves producers because they are afraid of taking on that name because they associate it with something that is very technical or very like that's not my area. I'm just here, you know, with my ideas and my scene. And the problem is that that a lot of guys will do that. I, I know a lot of I know some guys who are producers who never touch buttons ever. They have technicians do that. Mm. So they're just opinion havers for a living, which is something very typical to like male privilege. It's like, oh, I just have an opinion for a living. Um, and uh, so there is also a like discrepancy in in how women see in the music industry see themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have three people in the studio working on a piece of music, um, the if the one of them is a woman or two of them are women, they will like in, in most cases not refer to themselves as co-producers of it. Even though they'll be like, oh, should we have clapping here and bass here and drums here, just as as active. Mm-hmm. part in creating it but they will be like oh the guy was producing it and he will sit down and take the keyboard and like the mouse do it um so there's a lot of like subconscious stuff going on in the dynamics inside the studio in the dynamics in the media in the dynamics of people talking to each other and i became very interested in this after a while in the beginning of being in music i I hated talking about gender. I thought it was so weird that everyone was asking me about my gender all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, I'm a woman, I make beats, what, what is this? Mm-hmm. They would ask me all the time, like, why are there no more f- women making beats? And I was like, oh, ask some of the women who are not making beats because I could not tell you, <laughs> yeah. I make them. Yeah. Um, but uh, after years of being put on panels and, been asked to think about this and be like, no, I won't, I won't. I was like, okay, maybe I should look into this. So I look into it and the thing about looking into uh, gender theories and gender studies is that it's like what have been seen cannot be unseen. Mm-hmm. So suddenly you start looking at the statistics or you start looking at the science. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, you know, it's, it's very depressing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you start looking at why is it that we do these things and it's very depressing and it's uh, you get very angry and you start to start to realize how much of a cage you've been in and how much you've yourself been the guardian of that cage. In terms of behaviors? In yeah, in, in, in terms of behaviors and in terms of what you thought was possible to do and how yeah. you thought about yourself and how you allowed other people to think about you. And I mean, for me, I I think a lot of my interest in this has specified into the interest of authority, how we view authority uh, in women and how we view authority in men Mm -hmm. and the difference between those two. Yeah. Um, Because, especially what I do going on stage, doing my shows, which are quite punk sometimes I'll crawl on this like a bar and I'll smash glasses and I'll crowd surf and I'll you know that mm-hmm. it's a thing I like being violent on stage I like that energy 
Verlies und Ende oder ja, was bringt mm. We're not used to women doing that and we get afraid when women do that. This is amazing study that I refer to a lot was made, I think it was in the US, where they they made a lot of uh, groups that had to be fake juries of a case. Mm -hmm. And they put them in these groups and then uh, and they were all test subjects. Mm -hmm. And then they put in an actor or an actress in every one of the groups to get, like to take authority in the room. Okay. And all the actors and actresses had coordinated so their body language was the same, the way they did it, like, Okay, guys, I think this is what we should do, blah, blah, blah. So every single plant in the group was speaking and acting the same. Yes. Okay, right. And then you, they would monitor the people in the group's opinion over the course of the meeting. Ah, right, okay. Now, yeah. let's guess if this is depressing. <laughs> yes, it is horribly depressing. Mm. When a man would stand up and take authority and decide something, everyone would become calmer. And they would agree with him. They would like their opinion would lean towards his opinion. Yeah. Um, they would not necessarily say that it was because of him. They would after the meeting they would be like, oh, just during the meeting there was some talking and I decided that I, my opinion is this. Now, if it was a woman who did the same, not only do they not lean towards her opinion, no, no, no. They become uncomfortable and they lean the other way. They become like, oh, maybe what she's saying. I, I, I changed my opinion. I, I, I think the opposite. Mm. Men and women both do this. Yeah. There's no point. It's not just guys who need to check themselves with this. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very important. And I think when I heard about that, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Yeah. This, that, because I, have to take authority a lot. Mm -hmm. I have to decide how the show looks, what my tour is going to be called, how the artwork is going to be like, how we prioritize. There's a lot of business stuff in this as well that I have to do to get my art to where I want it to be. Um, and in collaborations, I have to be the authority on music. If I'm doing a film, I have to say like, this is how the music should be, I think, in collaboration, of course, with the director. And I realized, like, oh God, we women really have just like an obstacle course in front of us with this. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult because it's subconscious in everyone. Mm -hmm. We can't point at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, yeah, it's subconscious. It's subconscious. And sometimes I wish, because I talk a lot about feminism in the music industry, I talk a lot about how we could. What we can do to stop harassment and make it easier for women and uh, people journalists especially they really want like an example they want the smoking gun so yeah. like it's like they're hoping that i'll tell some story of a of some guy smoking a cigar saying that i will be nothing if i don't fuck him um which happens also mm -hmm. a lot in the music industry it has not happened a lot to me because that kind of sexual harassment, it punches down. And mm -hmm. I'm very much the boss of what I do. Yeah. So most of the people I work with are hired by me. Yeah. Um, but what people don't realize is that 
as much as this guy with the cigar, the sexist guy with the cigar is dangerous, it's also really, really dangerous for all the people making subconscious choices that are different if people are women or men. Mm -hmm. And that's the difficult one because that will only be healed through conversation and art and liberation of our ideals of what it is yeah. to be a woman and a man. Yeah. And everything in between. I remember being, I remember running a seminar at um, Leeds Conservatoire and it was on women in music, which as far as I was concerned was a conversation that had been going on way too long. Mm. Um, but it was still needed. When I say it was going on for way too long, I don't mean I was thinking it was unnecessary by any stretch. And one of the guys on the panel suggested that the only way we were going to overcome these issues of, you know, hypothetical man with cigar looking down on poor girl in the music business was if we wait for this generation of senior management to basically grow old and die, really, <laughs> um, for them for them to outgrow what exists now and for younger people in the music industry who have got more fluid gender identity or broader ideas or more up-to-date business knowledge or whatever, you know, take the place. And I see that point, but I also completely understand what you're saying in terms of it isn't just older men sat behind a desk with cigar who have the problem, so to speak, no. with female authority. No, and, and I mean there's like this specific type of guy in the music industry um like a very a very particular brand of douchebag um <laughs> that i know i have seen a lot of that these kind of youngish like men like beginning of their 30s maybe they'll have like one or two kids that they don't see a lot um they do drugs and they have this kind of like bro attitude like the, the music bros the mm -hmm. music business bros and um uh, they only talk to other guys they and they play music which is very dude bro kind of music mm -hmm. um in the radio and they put it on spotify playlists and they promote it on their channels or and i think that's the problem with you now is these bro dudes who are just especially in denmark god we have so much very like bro kind of hip-hop going on right now okay yeah which is just because we the people who are at like the gatekeepers in denmark are just very you know lads lads <laughs> yeah bro. yeah um so they're into that and they don't realize that when they the only music that they want to play from women's music resembling bro music mm -hmm. um and that because so those are the ones I'm mostly pointing the finger at these days. It's like, oh God, please check in with your own subconscious, mm, mm. you know, patterns, because you are obviously all propelling this one version of music that you like, which is mostly produced by men. Yeah, there's definitely a boys' club thing going on, isn't there? Particularly in smaller countries like Denmark. I mean, we've got to think that it that. Maybe people that are listening are from England. I don't know. We've got people who listen to this in Kansas. So wherever you're from, these demographics will be completely different. But Denmark is a tenth of the size of England. So 
you know, that's the difference that we're talking about in terms of the number of people involved in this music industry and the opportunity for there to be differences. I remember looking at some statistics for a different panel that I did for the wonderful Liverpool Sound City. And there was a lot of conversation around the, um, the first panel that I did was women actually in music in bands. Mm. So we were talking about the difference between, you know, the sort of age difference of a female jazz singer to a younger jazz singer, or, you know, the fact that pop music favors youth and what have you. The other panel that I did, we were talking about opportunities for women in general in the music industry. And somebody from some large organization, I can't remember what, which one, had actually found that in the music business, there were some women who were in very high powered jobs, mm. like CEOs of big labels or big publishing companies or these companies that are sort of in the background doing music rights and different things like that. And it was wonderful and everybody was going, hurrah, this is fantastic. We've got women who have broken through the glass ceiling and they came back to work after their baby and, and they did all the stuff and they did all the things. But in actual fact, thinking about the point that you said about gatekeepers, they're not gatekeepers, they're beyond that. They're management. They're management. They're not actually engaged in the music business. They are on a statistics level, they are in that sector. Yeah. And yes, they've done amazingly. Yes, they're a CEO of a company, it's great. But when was the last time that woman actually went to a gig to be, as you called it, a gatekeeper yeah. and to work with the label, to say what's the latest good music, to say who would work with who and who should be in the studio, etc. They're not there, mm. it's the bros. It's the bros, it's the bro club. And I think that's, uh, oh fuck, it's, it's um, how to get like past that is such an impossibly mm. daunting task. Mm. I read a really, really great uh, little book the other day um, uh, that I recommend anyone to read. It's called Can the Monster Speak? And it's mainly a book about um, uh, trends uh, uh, and psychoanalysis. Uh, and kind of the, the very stereotype uh, like uh, way that um, psychoanalysis looks at gender. But uh, there's this thing because it's it's a it's a talk that was done on a psychoanalysis conference. And the conference was women in psychoanalysis. That was the name of it. And the, the, the guy who's doing the talk who's a trans man, uh, he says in the beginning, and I, I hope I can quote it correctly, um, he says, like, uh, why are you having a conference on women in psychoanalysis? Like, they are this thing sh that should be studied. If you should take out, like, one demography and study it, why not study white men in, like, psychoanalysis? Because it seems we have much more problems coming from this kind of beast. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think is interesting in all this, that we talk a lot about, like, oh, what is happening with these women in the bands, and what mm -hmm. is happening with these women? And, and, and we really know a lot now about how it feels to be a woman in the music industry, because we ask every single one of them yeah. how it feels. But we are not studying what the, the dudes are doing. Mm -hmm. We're not studying what they are doing in terms yeah, of yeah. gender equality, in terms of, like, how they're getting where and what they're doing. Yeah. And we should know more about them because there's yeah. some of them are doing some damage and it would be maybe nice to study in what ways we can limit that damage. Yeah. 
but yeah. I'm always going on rants about this. So <laughs> yeah, it's like we're very good at um, listening to what women feel and what they want and what they've experienced, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't feel like it's been so well documented to find the flip side of that and find what men actually feel and what men understand about this. And if you were to think about this, for instance, as like some kind of legal battle, there's always two sides, yeah. you know, there's the defense and the accused and everybody has to put their story together. And then it's like, oh, well, you said that. Yeah, but you said that though, and this happened. And, you know, you've got to have both sides of the story. Mm -hmm. And it's great to hear the defense as it were around women and women's stories and women's needs and when they've been trampled on and when they weren't let back to work and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but we don't hear from the men as to understand what they think they should do or what they feel that they are doing or what they even actually understand mm. about this yeah. um and it would be really interesting to to get that. It would be really interesting to see what would happen. Because they might not know. No. They might not know that they're doing things wrong and making people feel bad. No. And that can happen in any situation. Yeah, and it would be interesting to see if the music industry, like, we just took like five years where all the dudes would get as many questions about gender as like all the women would. Mm. Like, yeah, they were constantly questioned, like, why, why is the situation like it is? Yeah. You know, and then having to explain that. Yeah. Because yeah. we have to explain it all the time. We women have to explain it. And I'm yeah. sorry to say, we're not the ones creating it. Yeah. So it's like a little bit bad. They're like, why are there no more women? It's like, it's not our fault. I don't know. Stop asking me. <laughs> I'm the one that's not there. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I, 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 it, all the women I know in the music industry are amazing and they are activists and they are very cool. And there's, they build like societies and there's so much support mm -hmm. in the music mm -hmm. industry for women. And we are not competing against each other. We are with each other yeah. in Denmark. And it's very nice. It's something that happened a few years ago. We got a Facebook group. We mm -hmm. stopped competing. We started supporting instead. Mm -hmm. And there are so many that, that are doing so good work. And I have huge respect for that. And I, yeah. it's so nice if the guys would chip in sometimes. Yeah, it's like the cavalry's all together, but we don't really understand what the battle is no. yet no. fully. There is a battle, but we don't quite fully have the details of it. Yeah, or like there's a battle, but it's just like uh, if the music industry is just 20% women, then it's just 20% who's mm. fighting it. Yeah. The we also need some how-to. Yeah. Like these are the problems, but we need a bit of how-to. Yeah. I mean, as some uh, some different ideas around the issues of women in the music industry. I've seen different discussions, debates, arguments, battles, whatever you want to label them. Um, I don't know if you had this in Denmark, but I know in England that there were some of the major festivals. And now I do this um, every single year that I see festival listings come out. Some of the major festivals were picked up a few years ago, five, six years ago. Um, year on year, people went back historically to look at how many female headliners these festivals had. And there were posters going around on that wonderful platform called Twitter that we all love a good argument on, um, where people had basically artworked out all of the male bands. 
from your festival posters and just left the female ones. And it was rather astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking bands with women in, in some instances, there were like three left or something not not we're not talking all female girl group like the go-go's or haim or whatever um the go-go's oh my god i'm showing my age but you know (laughs) it was like a band with a girl in um a woman in and some of the turnaround of those artworks were quite astonishing um and then from that spread these different conversations for instance if it was a heavy metal festival there aren't any girls in metal music there aren't many bands no. with women in. So why is that? And there were, you get all these little blogs and, uh, you know, um, reviewers and things like that that put questionnaires out and I, uh, on, on Twitter and Facebook and stuff. And I think that in heavy metal music, for instance, generally, the interest of women in that type of music is just pretty low. They just don't like it. <laughs> a lot of women who, who, who like it a lot and I know also a few women play it yeah but it's it's uh, I think also that might be also a Scandinavian thing mm. I think having recently gone to Copenhagen I think there were a lot more women there than you would find at an English um metal festival yeah. I think in some of the the smaller bands I mean the headliners good old Iron Maiden you know solid male British band um and Metallica yay men Mm-hmm. Kiss, men, yay, men. <laughs> men <laughs> but, but a lot of the the smaller, um, um, I don't want to call them local bands, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That are like down on the third row of your bill had women in, yeah. and there were some really great bands with some great vocals, great performers that were women. So maybe it's a little bit different when you get out in Europe compared to what the expectations are in England. That is not unusual. But having worked at a music conservatoire as well, understanding the general kind of tastes of girls. Yeah, there are girls who love heavy metal music and they love the intensity and that like full on guitar playing screamo kind of stuff. There are also some who really run away from it because it's way too hard. And that's getting quite specific into genres. <laughs> but I think that's like on the point of like, because when, when we talk about Scandinavia, we talked about it earlier before we started recording, we mm. talked about the emotional difference and the freedom of genders in the UK and Scandinavia. Yeah. And I think that is so close to the point of like this thing that a lot of people will say, like, because women don't just don't want to make any art ever. Like it's a taste thing. It's like, oh, they're not interested in that life. And I think because in Scandinavia, where it is not perfect in any way, there's more freedom in as to choose what it means to be a woman, mm. to choose what it means to be a man. And therefore, we have more female-led metal bands. Yeah. Because yeah. there are women who will not see it as a loss of femininity. Yeah, yeah. And that, I, oh, it's such an interesting thing. And it's that because it's, it's, it's more like, I don't want to do it because I don't want to do it rather than I don't want to do it because I can't because I'm a woman. You know, in Denmark or Scandinavia, yeah. if people don't do it, it's because of their want or their yeah. need or their affiliation with that. It's not because they, like, you know, little quote fingers, 
can't because they're a girl. And our, but that's something that, that interests me so much is that our needs and desires as universal as they may feel inside our body, like this is my need and this is my desires and this is mm. my taste, it's mine, could never be different. It is defined by society. Mm. And our sexuality is defined by society. Mm -hmm. What turns us off and turns us on is defined by society. Just look at Japan and hentai. Mm. You know, like having huge like octopus arms, tentacles. It's a thing that turns a lot of people on there because yeah. it's been a part of their sexual language yeah. uh, visually. Uh, and I think in that sense, this like how do we get more diversity in any art form is connected to the rest of societies like how do we get more diversity in our emotional lives mm -hmm. therefore it's it's not like i have no illusions that we can fix fix i say that with quotation mm -hmm. the music industry without fixing the rest of society mm -hmm. but the thing is that with art and then it comes kind of full circle. Art is the, in my opinion, the easiest way to change stuff. Yeah. And to give people another opportunity of existing mm -hmm. is art in yeah. many ways. Yeah. And for me, going on stage, being violent and being scary and being authoritative as fuck in the midst of lasers and UFOs and neon body paint. I hope I can present another version of woman mm -hmm. for people to absorb, not intellectually, but emotionally and physically. Yeah. And like, oh, this is also an option. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that is one of the reasons that I care so much about diversity in arts, because it is a possibility to change the rest of society. Mm. And we can't really generalize as well about the music industry, because mm -hmm. like you mentioned society, and these differences between the countries, each society in each country that the music industry exists in is quite different. Yeah. Like another thing we discussed briefly, well, no, we didn't briefly because we were talking for an hour before we hit record. Another thing that we discussed is the differences that as women that we've experienced being in the UK or being here in Denmark, um, the, the male perspective and the female perspective in those countries from, from the moment you're born is very different. So then subsequently the dynamics of the music industry and the expectations there in England would probably be very different than in Denmark. And I mean, I'm not saying that the same problems don't exist in Denmark. Of course, this is what you work on, but maybe to a different extent. Yeah. We were talking, just to clarify, we were talking about um, our experiences of being harassed on the street. Um, as beautiful young women um, walking down the street in England is incredibly difficult. It's very often that you get shouted at or leered at or whistled or some comment made. And for me, sadly, it became a normal part of life. And for um, Jenny, when she went to London, it was rather horrific because shock horror, listeners who are in England, that shit doesn't happen in Denmark. It just doesn't happen. You don't get whistled at when you walk down the street because being a woman 
being young, being an older woman, being a mother, being whatever, the whole cycle of being a woman is accepted and celebrated in a completely different way in this country than it is in England. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was really I that that experience of, of someone catcalling for the first time or like shouting, I can't even remember shouting rah, 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 or something. <laughs> I was like so intrigued in a way because it was like what how, why what is this <laughs> what is this weird thing this man is doing what is his intention what is his goal like what what is what is going on here and I, and I think it's so interesting with these things like that happens inside us that happens in society as well is it's all kind of these taught things like the guy who's shouting or whistling he had that taught someone subconsciously taught to him that that is yeah. the way to exist yeah and kind of as i'm in society i'm also i'm also a, what do you call it, a debate person i've become a debate person people <laughs> ask me to go on panels now and you know debate cuss with at, politicians cuss at politicians yes. <laughs> um um usually typecasted as the angry feminist or weird artist <laughs> um but as your mother will be so proud. Oh yes, she, of course she is. Very happy with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, also dealing with all the internalized shit and all the stuff in my body and in my system that is telling mm. me what to do and what not to do and how to be a woman and how not to be a woman, how to be in relationships, how not to be in relationships. It's it's interesting because it's the same patterns, but they're like macro and micro macro mm -hmm. kind of organized in that mm -hmm. sense and as i am queer and polyamorous i've also had to kind of like uh, deal with some kind of feelings of being wrong or this is not how it's supposed to look mm -hmm. this is not how love is supposed to look yeah. this is not how i i had like i think i had like in, intimate relationships with like seven or eight women before I said I was bisexual because I thought no 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 that's not how bisexuality looks or that I'm not a lesbian or something. there's so many things that we learn subconsciously from society that inhibits our creativity our love life our way of existing mm -hmm. and kind of slowly unraveling that is mm. a full-time job okay yeah and all of these different societies that exist around the world are going to have completely different impacts on the people that are within them. So like people like you that are growing within this industry, um, somebody who is like you in England is going to have a completely different experience, not just because they're a different human being, but with the basics of, you know, gender, identity, things like that are going to be quite different because the way they are received as a, a polyamorous person in England in a society that whistles at women in the street is received completely differently to that person in Denmark. Yeah. And this is another obstacle. I don't want to keep saying difficulty. <laughs> obstacle to get over, isn't it? The very different societies. Yeah. And it is something that I thought about a long time ago because I was actually asked to bring one of my panels um, to Smugfest maybe yes. mm -hmm. yeah and I just much as it was great to have done this thing at Sound City I kind of kind of quickly thought I have no idea about 
discussing this with people in Denmark. I'm sure I could have been a great moderator and just sat there and gone, hmm, what do you think? And what do you think? And played devil's advocate to a degree. But I had no depth of knowledge of the society here. And a lot of the panels were talking about societal norms in England and you know how people are brought up, what the education system is like, how people are expected to fit in boxes, how they are received in terms of their gender and identity and their wants and their needs. And I thought, I don't know this stuff about Denmark. So it was great, but I didn't want to do it because it was scary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes I think I don't even know it's, it's because it's so complicated. But mm. I, I can, that's also the, the possibility of looking at different societies that you can see the difference. Mm. Looking at UK, wow, very big difference. Yeah. Looking at China, wow, completely different problems. Yeah. Like I lived in China for half a year and it was the, mm. some in some ways, I never felt more free and there were so many things that were liberating because they didn't exist and then there were some other things that was uh, obviously not very liberating about living in China yeah um and it's like it's it's interesting to see like how these different little prisons we built for each other uh, yeah designed. exactly and where they come from and currently I can't help it sorry but my mind is just going to skip to whatever's going on in America at the oh, moment yeah. like talk about little prisons that they designed for one another like what on earth thinking about feminism in that country it's as though they're still living in the 1800s if not beyond that in terms of the religious rule and the it's like we never had the era of the witch trials and and civil rights and things <laughs> like that it's just all gone down the shitter hasn't it recently so talking about different societies, it's like that is another massive obstacle that we're going to have to start to overcome in a million different ways. But that's digressing a bit too much from the music industry, I think. But yeah, it's true. And it's, it's scary. Like, I think for that thing, I'm just mostly my, my biggest emotion in my system is just fucking confusion. I'm yeah. just like, how? How? Yeah. How? Yeah. And we can't even put that decision down to the big white man behind the desk with the cigar. No, it's way worse. Because when you look at the Senate or whatever they call what they call the Senate, the Supreme Court, it was actually a heady combination of older men and uh, people of colour and women. Yeah. You know, just people with shitty opinions. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But anyway, we digressed. Um, Let's finish off the show with a bit more about you. Yeah, so we, that's uh, politics. <laughs> politics and a bit of sociology and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. We touched at the beginning on um, you having gone to Cannes yes. on your F. Scott Fitzgerald adventure. Yes. Um, but what were you really in Cannes for? Because it's been, to, cul to culminate with all this stuff about uh, Jenny being on panels and fighting, not physically, verbally, with politicians and things like that, has actually led to a massively exciting year. So. Yes. So uh, I was in Cannes, uh, uh, mostly on holiday, but also to check out some, some film stuff and, and to see some things. While I was down there, I got the news that I was nominated for a European Composer Award for Best Score because I did a film score. Oh, like, you didn't. That wasn't what you'd gone. For. No, no, no. That was ah. not for It was. I was learning as I was down there because we. I got to Ken. I I found out that I was able to get accredited as a film professional mm -hmm. um, and see films at Ken. It's really difficult, but I. Could, I was able to do it because I also won 
the Holbert Award, which is the Davies Oscar, which I won four months ago. So because of that, I was able to get into Ken, and my boyfriend was able to because he is a film director. So we went down there to just see films, and then we got the news that I was nominated for the European Film Award, which is going to be hosted in Croatia in September. Uh, there are three scores nominated in all of Europe, and I'm one of them. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's pretty huge. And this is just like, it feels like the past year has been a combination of a lot of hard work in a lot of different ways. And uh, before, like, I had a really, really dark period when COVID hit and I had a lot of emotional fuck-upness. And then I crawled out of that. And when I crawled out of that, my career was exploding. <laughs> it was a very intense experience. And I've won a lot of also like honorary awards for being feminist and uh, my activism and huge like grants. And I'm finally like paying off my tax debt, which is nice. Um, and I am now in my extremely wonderful privileged position where I can choose what I want to do. Wow. My art, my time, and I'm getting better at not choosing everything everywhere all at once, um, which is something I've done a little bit, which was not healthy for me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's insane and it's beautiful. And, it, and I, as I told you when I came, it's this weird thing when I meet friends and they congratulate me, I have to ask what they are congratulating me on. There's so much stuff happening. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah. That's it's amazing. So nice. And it's it's my beautiful, beautiful relationship mm -hmm. that I'm very, very fond of and that I'm excited about. And it's mm -hmm. and that uh, has a different potential than anything I've ever been in with someone who's very intelligent and very feminist. Mm -hmm. Um and has a fabulous beard. And has a fabulous beard, yes. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's like I'm extremely grateful and I'm, I'm excited and yeah. also taking holiday, which is insane. I yeah, this is the first that. day of your holiday. Yes, and I'm just going to read and write, and I got an opportunity to write a book for a really good publisher. And okay, so yeah. so let's rewind. Yes, we're we're, <laughs> we're beat making, we're writing, we're producing. We've somehow slid into composing film scores. You've also done a theatre play, and now you're going to write a book. Um, yes, I'm going to write a book. Okay, and, and, so we're going full artistic spectrum here. Yes. All I of it. Also have a radio show about the nature of pictures. Right, okay. When's the fashion design kicking in and things like that? <laughs> Are you going to go into that, making your own costumes? No, I think okay. like fashion people scare me too much. I've been to the fashion week a few times and I was always scared shitless. Okay. Um, so that's, like, that's an industry I'm not going to touch people. Okay. Literature is actually the one I'm most excited about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that is with who? Um, I don't think I'm able to say okay. right now, but okay. um, I've been writing on a book and now someone who is very influential in Danish mm -hmm. literature wants to release it. Okay. And what's the book about? Or can you not tell us that either? Oh, I can. It's autobiographical. Yeah. Um, it's about searching for freedom and then ending up fucked that would be the easiest. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's not a, a fairy story with a happy ending. Oh no, no, no. It's a very there's a lot of pain. I've done a lot of field research in pain. 
Okay. Um, emotional thing. <laughs> in that research, I found some things yeah. and lost some other things. Right, okay. Um, and that's what the book's about. And it's also, I work a lot with surrealism and, and magic realism, so it's also just weird. And okay, okay. And I think the takeaways from this is like, you know, just be weird. Let your kids be weird. Yeah, and I mean, also I think- Because look where it gets you. I'm, <laughs> I'm literally sat here talking to my laptop now to as though I'm telling the laptop, like, but listeners, you know, look at where being weird gets you. Look at this wonderful human being that's got so many strings to her bow. Like, and you started the conversation by saying, I was just weird at school and I escaped into fairy stories. <laughs> and I think that that's fucking great because look where you are now. Look yeah. at where all those fairy stories got you. It does make sense to violently defend your weird and uh, not necessarily very logical core. Mm. I think that's would be the moral takeaway about my story is that it is difficult, it is hard, it can be hardcore, but it is so rewarding. Yeah, yeah. To allow a certain level of whatever it is you have inside mm -hmm. without judging too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is your favorite thing about what you do, about what you, about what you give, all of this wonderful stuff that you absorb for your creativity? What is your favorite thing about what you give back out? Ah, it's, it's the, uh, the, the connection and when I see that people are really, really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it's, oh gosh, I can never get enough of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes when you play concerts, you can start playing a song and then you spot the person and you see that it's their favorite song yeah and then you see like that kind of happiness that i know yeah. being at a show and seeing my favorite band perform my favorite song that's the best feeling in the world yeah and seeing someone else get that feeling from what i do it, it's extreme happiness it's just it's so beautiful and it's so nice and i i save it as little amulets in my heart and i bring them when i don't know what to do with them. yeah i think that that's something that will continue throughout your career having watched some big bands you can see on their faces when people sing along still the or yeah. that the entire audience knows the words to your song or the bridge or the, your harmony and la 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 la, la you know it never yeah. stopped being beautiful it's just, it's just it's yeah. so gorgeous and it's, it's 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 just the act of giving it's like mm -hmm. that that giving being given the opportunity to give nice. is the most beautiful thing the yeah. biggest privilege i like that and knowing that people get your creativity yeah they're there they're appreciating it they're loving all of this melting pot of stuff <laughs> <laughs> that is nice as well but i think like the biggest, the, the, the biggest motivation, the biggest love and the biggest everything is just knowing that it makes me feel good. Yeah. I don't, if they get it or not, if they misunderstand it, I don't, as long as it gives them something. Yeah. They can take something completely different away from what I do. That's fine. If it makes them feel good, great. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here. And the 
two and a half hours of conversation that we've had. Thank you for uh, <laughs> two and a half hours of conversation. Even though only one hour of that is on the podcast, I'm sorry, the rest of it's a secret. <laughs> um, so what's next for you? Next is the book. Are you touring again? What is your... I am Give us a little plug of the next thing that you're going to do for people to hook into. I am releasing an album um, in September, Ooh. which is made completely alone on an island in Norway. <laughs> so you didn't make any of your phone calls, hey, you come and work with me? Nope. No. I went to an island and I made an acoustic album with piano and I, a choir of, of people, local people that, I, that didn't know each other are also singing on it. Um, but yeah, it's um, it was an intense process of one month. I went insane and came back with an album. Okay. Um, <laughs> and someone filmed it. Right. So it's also a film. Right. Yeah, it's going to come out accidentally one month before we went to do the film slash album. It, he became my boyfriend. So I now live in this real life that my boyfriend is editing a film about me. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that makes for an interesting home life. What do you do, darling? Oh, I'm just doing this film about you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we try to. But that, that album is coming out in September, and I'm doing a whole tour, mm -hmm. all of Denmark, some of Germany, maybe also the UK, mm -hmm. um, where I'll be playing acoustic. Okay. And that is beautiful. I mean, having seen you do little snippets of things when we were away last summer, it's really quite different to see in your stage show. Yeah. So okay. from my opinion, if you guys listening have seen her live, if you've seen Lumor live, do this other thing as well, because it is completely different and incredibly beautiful in a very different way to see you singing and playing the piano. It's Thank kind you. of lovely. Maybe the garden helped when we were there garden in the garden and the sunshine, but yeah. you know, you were all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting. It's a very nice space to be in. Yeah. And we weren't disturbed by the cat. He's been no, remarkably he's... placid for this, uh, for this podcast, yeah. which is a surprise. Um, for those of you listening, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you get some, as I said at the beginning, inspiration and joy and something to really make you think. Um, that's the idea of this podcast that we speak to people who have, I guess, in a, in a way, found their dharma and have something to give back to the world. I look forward to your comments and anything you want to send me on Instagram and I will speak to you all next month.